All right, Veritas, welcome to our equipping podcast. Uh, a couple weeks ago, so we're working through Hebrews, and a couple weeks ago we talked about this issue of can you lose your salvation, and we didn't go in depth uh, in that sermon, but we said we'll do a podcast later. This is that podcast. We're going to talk about the issue of can you lose your salvation, uh, and I'm here with one of our pastors, Nathan Kalpeck, um, and we're going to tackle this together. Um, you can dive much deeper, but hopefully we'll give you an overview of the perspectives and our viewpoint on this. Um, so before we get into can you lose your salvation, Nathan, let's start with what is salvation? I think the question of what is salvation is the right one to ask, because if we're if we're talking about can I lose it, we got to know what it is in the first place. And so many misunderstandings happen because we don't have a right view of salvation, conversion, all this stuff. So I like to think of salvation in terms of save from, save by, and save for. So we're saved from the real consequences of our sin that we deserve, the justice of God against rebellion against him. All of us have sinned. Romans 6, 23 says the wages of sin is death. What we deserve for pushing against God, his, his rule, his authority, his design, is separation from him forever in hell. We're saved from that. We're saved by the finished work of Jesus. Jesus' death on the cross was a sacrifice to pay for that, that sin. And that this is even where some of the conversation, I think, comes up, talking about losing your salvation, but it's, it's being made alive, Ephesians 2 said, out of spiritual deadness, right? In John 3, Jesus says you've got to be born again. Something happens to you when you're saved, and you become alive. And you're saved for relationship with God forever. You're saved for new life with God starting now forever. So salvation is saved from sin, but the consequences of sin and the power ultimately of sin over you. You're saved by the finished work of Jesus as the payment for sin, and you're given his right relationship with God, his righteousness. You're saved for relationship with God forever. So that's what that's what salvation is. We're talking about can you lose that? Yeah, that was a great summary of save uh, from by and for, kind of a complete look of of salvation. Now, we would say that you cannot lose your salvation. That's kind of our doctrinal position as a church. Why do we say that? Yeah, because the Bible says it. (laughs) (laughs) And, you know, like you said earlier, this is a big conversation. So even even if someone is listening in and they've they've been part of this argument before or whatever, we're not going to hit every verse in the Bible that talks about this, but there's some really key ones that I think are helpful for us grounding our understanding all throughout the New Testament. So one, even as we were discussing right before this, one that I love is in John 10. This is Jesus talking about how he is the good shepherd and how, how this whole relationship works. Um, in John 10, verse 27, he says, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. So he's talking about the people that are, that are his, that in relationship with him. Verse 28, I give them eternal life and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My father who has given them to me is greater than all and no one is able to snatch them out of the father's hand. I and the father are one. So even the language in there is, is Jesus is giving you something that no one can take away from you. And he uses the father's authority to go, listen, no one can beat the father and the father, the father's in control of this whole situation. So one logical conclusion in that is, well, if no one can snatch you out of God's hand, you can't snatch you out of God's hand. Hmm. Like you can't do something that beats the father in terms of your salvation if it's been given by the son. Um, Jake, you, you listed a bunch of different ones. What's one that comes to mind for you when you're thinking about it? I go to first Peter 
uh, chapter 1, verse 3, I think through 5 or 2, 5, it says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again. Um, now that born again language, you hear that when Jesus is talking to Nicodemus, like you must be born again, and you get this idea of regeneration, like uh, anyone who is in Christ is a new creation. So if you've been born again, you can't be unborn. Like if you've been made new, you're not going to be unmade new. So there's this transformation that happens to a believer. Um, that's There's some finality to that. He says, you've been born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, um, undefiled and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power is being guarded through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. So this it's being kept for us by God's power, not our power. Like, it's God's power that keeps us. Um, so I think that verse really drives it home. But just kind of understanding, how are you saved? I'm not saved by my own works. Even a decision, like, like I was dead. Dead people don't make decisions. I was made alive by God. So if I didn't save myself, I can't unsave myself. It's kind of understanding the complete work of God in the salvation process means like it's out of your hands and God knows how to save his own and keep his own in salvation. Yeah. And you're, you're kind of referencing Ephesians two there as well, which if, if people have been following the reading plan, we memorized Ephesians two, um, I think one through 11 earlier in the year, but that language of, yeah, you were dead, you were a child of wrath, but God shows up and does something to you. And even in Ephesians one, Paul's talking about the work of the Trinity and he talks about this inheritance that you said there in 11, we've obtained an inheritance. And, and down in 13, he says, In him, in Christ, you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who's the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. Mm. So you've got a beautiful future hope that is guaranteed by God by giving you the Spirit, sealing you. And it says to the praise of his glory. So his glory is on the line. Like his name and reputation is on the line in terms of you falling through the end. Like all of this, whether we're talking about Jesus' direct words, whether we're talking about Peter who followed and heard Jesus' words, whether we're talking about Paul, all of them are saying the same thing, that God is stronger than you are in terms of your salvation. He's the one that gives it to you, and he's the one that guarantees it for you. But we've got to get salvation right to understand what that means. Yeah. And God is capable of saving you from beginning to end. Yep. So so maybe theological terms that get used to in this, one would be the perseverance of the saints. What does that mean? Yeah, perseverance is endurance. It's lasting to the end. And the saints are those who have been made righteous by God. So it's a, a term basically meaning at the end, we will see those who have been saved the entire time. Now, that, So if you're a saint... You're going to persevere. That's right. That's, what it means. Okay. that's right. And and it's a little bit like the proof is in the pudding. At the end of the day, we'll kind of know those that that really had it going on. So at the end of the road, we'll see who really was running the race, getting to the end. All I can think about right now is pudding. Amen. <laughs> We're recording this in the morning, but I think pudding is pudding still, sounds great. Still sounds so good. another theological term would be eternal security. What does that mean? I mean, I think it's kind of self-explanatory, but. Unpack it. What is yeah. eternal security? Eternal security is the idea that you've got a secure inheritance and future that is guaranteed forever. Like you have a security going on. I'm not explaining that well. <laughs> What's the difference between that and perseverance of the saints? Well, perseverance, of the, it's two ways of saying the same thing. So yeah. like perseverance would be if you're a saint, you will persevere. 
Like you will go to the you if you're a true believer, you're going to be a true. Now, you may be a struggling believer, but you're going to cling to the gospel for your life. Like to go back to your example, proof is in the pudding, like the genuineness of your faith is going to show in your perseverance. Eternal security is just saying, hey, your eternity is secure. Yeah. Like God knows how to save his people from beginning to end. And you can rest assured in the finished work of Jesus Christ it's secure. Like you don't have like, did I lose it? Did I have it? Did I not have it? Is somebody going to take it from me? No, there's this guarantee of, of our salvation in that. So those are amazing truths that should give um, peace to our hearts. It should increase our worship. Um, But the reason we're having this podcast and asking this question is as a church, we're working through the book of Hebrews. In the book of Hebrews, there's several passages that are known as the warning passages that really challenge this idea of eternal security of, wait a second, it sounds like he's talking about you can lose your salvation. Um, so we, we want to um, address those passages and say, like, okay, how do we handle these, these texts specifically? Um, so we're going to read some of them uh, in the book of Hebrews just to give you an idea of kind of what is the author saying. And a, a really important point of even what we're doing right now, like how to read your Bible, is you interpret difficult things based on less difficult things in Scripture, right? So it's not like, oh, no, I hit these points in Hebrews and i got to rethink everything. It's, okay, these are tricky to understand. Let me look at the Bible and understand in general what it means by salvation and interpret the, the less clear by the more clear. Yeah, and there's a right and wrong way to do this. I think um, you want to say, what's use the Bible to help interpret the Bible. Like you said, Use the passages that are really clear to help you understand the passages that aren't as clear, because God's Word is not going to contradict itself. But bad hermeneutics would be like, I don't really like this passage. Let me go find some I like. That's right. Um, We want to say, like, no, others can help us understand what they mean, uh, but let's do the hard work of what what it's saying in front of us. So, Nathan, let's just you and I read a few of these. I'll start off. This is in Hebrews chapter 2, the first four verses. He says this. Therefore, we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away from it. For since the message declared by angels proved to be reliable, and every transgression or disobedience received a just retribution, how shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? It was declared at, the f- at first by the Lord, and it was attested to us by those who heard, while God also bore witness by signs and wonders and various miracles and by the gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to his will. So in here you got this idea of drifting away, neglecting a great salvation. What's another one? Yeah, Hebrews 3, 12 through 14. It says, Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart, leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day, as long as it's called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. For we have come to share in Christ, if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. So that was one of the passages we addressed when we said, hey, we'll do a podcast of it. But you have these like conditional statements. This is true if, and they're like, wait, what do you mean by this? Another one is in uh, verse 1 of chapter 4. It says, therefore, while the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us fear, lest any of you should seem to have failed to reach it. Another one that caused like, what do you mean failed to reach it? Um, so that causes some concern. What's what's another one? Yeah, six, four through eight. It says, For it is impossible in the case of those who have once been enlightened, 
who have tasted the heavenly gift, who have shared in the Holy Spirit, and have tasted the goodness of the word of God and the powers of the age to come, and then have fallen away to restore them again to repentance, since they are crucifying once again the Son of God to their own harm and holding him up to contempt. For land that has drunk the rain that often falls on it and produces a crop useful to those uh, for whose sake it has been cultivated receive, receives a blessing from God. But if it bears thorns and thistles, um, it's worthless and near to being cursed, and its end is being burned. That's some really harsh, hard kind of language there. Yeah, that's, that's probably not going to be the verse of the day on Life 101.9. <laughs> like, that's not a comforting... Thorns and thistles. Like, what, yeah, what is, what is he talking about there? We'll come back to that one. This is in 10, uh, verse 26. It says, For if we go on sinning deliberately after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins. So these are passages that are like, wait a second, what does this mean? Are they saying a believer can lose their salvation? So we're not going to like drill down deep into each one of these passages, but we want to look at these warning passages in Hebrews and, and ask a few questions to say, one, who are the warnings addressing? What is the sin warned against? And what are the consequences? And there's some different views in that, and we'll we'll unpack those with you in kind of land where we're at. So uh, first one is, who are these warnings addressing? Yeah, and I think the first week of the series, we talked about how this is written to Christians, but they're Christians with a Jewish background that are kind of looking back at the Old Testament law and, and wondering, man, do we, do we need to kind of add some of this stuff back in? Like, do we need to start going back to some of these traditions? Do we need to sort of pull that back into Christianity? So people that are genuine believers that the assumption of the author is these are Christians. They've accepted Jesus. They're, they're part of the church family. They're struggling though to, to figure out, okay, what do we do with the law? That kind of thing. So some people would say, and is this, is it talking to kind of a mixed audience, whatever? It seems like with all the other commands and stuff, the person in view is a person of faith, a person that has trusted Jesus. Mm -hmm. So we'll come back to that one because that matters. The other one is, what is the sin warned against? And we'd say um, apostasy. What does that mean? Yeah, That's a word that gets used. In- yeah, apostasy is denying Jesus, denying the faith. Someone who's apostate has turned away from the truth. They used to say, yes, I'm with Jesus, and now they're like, no, Jesus isn't Lord. Jesus is not the king. I don't, I don't believe in him anymore. It's giving up on their faith. Right. It's a word that can get translated falling away yep. here in Hebrew. So this idea of falling away from the living God is apostasy. That's the sin that's getting warned against. Now, unless you say there is a view that says, okay, Christians can't lose their salvation. That's clear in other passages of scriptures. It seems like he's talking to Christians here in this text, but since we know Christians can't lose their salvation, he can't be talking about salvation. He must be talking about just a lack of fruitfulness, and you're not going to lose your salvation. You're going to lose rewards in heaven. Um, How would you answer that? I think that that rewards language is is from 1 Corinthians. There's not really rewards language in these passages. Like if you look at the context, if you read around it, he's really trying to use pictures of entering eternal life, entering the promised land. So even like in chapter 4, it's like, hey, be careful that you don't lose out on entering the rest. Don't, don't lose out on getting to the promised land. That's not rewards language in terms of is heaven going to be as good for you or not. It's talking about the whole package. Um, even in chapter 6 that, that I read there, like... The burning field. That yeah, is, <laughs> crucifying yeah. Jesus again. This isn't language about, like, is heaven going to be as good for you? 
it's talking about the whole package here. So it's hard to read these passages individually and look at their context and and not see that he's talking about salvation issues. Sure. So it seems like it seems like he's talking to Christians. It seems like he's talking about actually falling away apostasy from the living God. So then what are the consequences of that? Is it how's that play out? Is it a loss of salvation then? Uh is it is it not now that the answer to that question comes down back to the first question of who is he talking to? Uh, is it Christians or is it kind of a mixed audience? Like I'm preaching a message at church and I know in this room there are some people who are Christians and there's some people who are not genuine Christians and it's kind of a mixed audience in the room. So Jake, you did study on this, especially setting up this series and found, I remember in teachers meeting, you were saying, okay, man, there are good Bible believing people that believe something slightly different, but how did you land on the conclusion you came to? Yeah, I think, so here's the different different viewpoints. One would be they're talking to Christians. The warning is against falling away and the consequences is you'll lose your salvation. So that is one way you can interpret this passage that I don't think is consistent with scripture or what he's actually saying here in Hebrews. Well, but that is a view that, Hey, you're talking to Christians. He's warning them against falling away. And if you fall away, you'll lose your salvation. Another view is he's talking to Christians but by no means, we know you can't lose your salvation, so he must not mean that, so he means probably a loss of rewards. It doesn't seem like the language he's using, no, he's talking about losing your salvation. So it brings us to two other views that I think are both valid views. One would say it's a mixed audience. Um, there are genuine Christians that he's addressing, and there's also people that are just along for the ride, uh, and they're, they're, they're a part of the group. Um, and the warning is apostasy. He's talking about falling away from the living God, but it's a it's a test of genuineness. He's saying if you fall away, you didn't lose your salvation. It reveals you never had it. Um, so I think that's a pretty strong view um, that a lot of uh, Bible dudes that I respect take that position. Where I came to the conclusion is, I would say, I think he's talking to Christians. It's hard to get around that, like the language he uses, um, that you've tasted of the heavenly things, you've you know embraced this. You, like, this is cr- clear to me, Christian language in that. Now, I could understand, hey, if you're a preacher, which Hebrews is a sermon, that, gets, that you're going to talk that language addressing a whole room. So it's like, that's where they're like, okay, I can get a mixed audience. But I think his intentions are, I'm, ta- I'm addressing you as believers. In fact, in chapter 3, the warning is, least any of you. So he's saying, I'm going to apply this to all of you, um, this, this threat of falling away. So I think he's talking to Christians. I think the threat is apostasy or falling away from the living God. And I think the consequence is losing your salvation. So then, and I don't think you can lose your salvation. <laughs> so you're like, okay, how does that work? Uh, if, if he's talking to Christians, he's warning them of falling away, and the consequence is losing, losing your salvation, but you can't lose your salvation. What's happening here? Here's how I would process that. Um, it's a means God uses to persevere his saints. So just like um, I believe God elects people to salvation, and he commands us to preach the gospel to the ends of the earth. And God uses the preaching of the gospel 
to work through his message to save people. God is still saving people, but he's calling us to do something. And that is a means that he uses to accomplish his purposes. Because um, you could say, like, well, if you're elect, why do we need to preach the gospel? Because God commanded us to, and he uses it to save people. So when it comes to here, I feel like warnings are a means God uses to persevere as saints. As in, when you're a true saint and you hear these warnings, you will take heed of them and cling tightly to the gospel. And that, that's part of the, the beauty of even what Hebrews 4 talks about, the nature of Scripture, or, or 2 Timothy talks about, where the Word is doing work as we read it. Like, God has designed His Word to have power beyond just intellectual statements that I'm supposed to understand. It has that, but even more than that, yeah, the warning does something to you in your soul that helps you persevere and keep going. You know, God actually designed his word to be powerful. And in Isaiah, he says, the word isn't going to return void. It's going to do the work it's supposed to do. So there, there's something about it where it's like, yes, it goes into your mind and it changes your thinking and, and helps helps you understand. And God designed it where you see that warning. And it's not just another intellectual signpost. It actually, it spurs you on and encourages you. And I think of Jonah as an example, right? If you're familiar with the book of Jonah, God does a lot of work to get Jonah to a city. God, I mean, the, the only guy I know of that is swallowed by a fish and comes out alive. Like God does a lot. He's really intent on getting Jonah to go preach to Nineveh that they're going to be destroyed. And he doesn't destroy them. He sends Jonah there to go give them a message so that they would respond to the message so that he wouldn't destroy them. Like God designs the whole situation and works a lot of things out for a result that's different than the warning. In a similar way, it's kind of like, hey, if you don't repent, you'll be destroyed. Well, God designed the whole time for you to repent and the warning to make that happen in you. So in a similar way here, it's like, hey, don't fall away. If you fall away, this is not good. Well, that warning is designed to actually help you not fall away. Yeah. And that's the whole point of Hebrews. He's trying to tell people, like, don't abandon Jesus. If you abandon the gospel, you have no hope of salvation. Yep. Now, if you're a genuine believer, you won't. And he does keep coming back to, like, I have better hopes for you. I don't like it's. He does have encouraging language after these warnings. Um, but that's the point. Don't. You, there is no hope outside of the gospel, and you need to cling to that. Now, some people could say, is that an empty threat? or empty warning if he's warning them of something that can't really happen to genuine believers? I would say, no, it's it's a means. It's not empty because it's effective in the hearts of true believers to cause them to cling more tightly to the gospel. And in this whole idea of perseverance of the saints, it's like at the end of the day, we will know who is has been with Jesus. They had that life, that real life that God gave them. They had that secure inheritance. I think all of us know people that claimed to be Christians at one point and have proven over time to be spiritually dead. Yeah. And even even people I've, I've gotten to work with in ministry at this point are denying Jesus. And it's like, that that doesn't make me scared that I could lose my salvation, but that makes me look back and go, man, I don't want to, I don't want to go through the motions. I don't want to fake it. I don't want to deceive myself. Like chapter six talking about um, deceitfulness or, or maybe it was in four, I forget what I read now. Um, I could be self-deceived by sin and go through the motions and and tell myself this is, you know, I've got this thing that I really don't have an inheritance of. So again, it doesn't make me nervous that I could lose it, but it it's a warning to my soul of don't don't for a second just get comfortable and forget that this is a big deal that salvation is beautiful and hell is real. Yeah, and what we said last week or a couple weeks ago is 
sometimes the doctrinal the doctrine of eternal security gives people a false sense of That's security right. of I prayed a prayer once or I must be good and we're saying no Christians take these warnings seriously in a way that drives you to cling to the gospel all the more and when we get how big of a deal salvation is how big of a deal the gospel is these warnings make sense when we have a bigger view of what God did in salvation that it wasn't cheap it's not just pray prayer raise my hand call it good get a ticket to heaven but that the the offense against a holy God that we committed he actually did something to deal with it that we could have never done for ourselves when you see how big of a deal that is the idea of falling away becomes awful but if it's just kind of a again a ticket to heaven or get some perks in the afterlife or whatever then falling away is, is less of a big deal. So when, when you cheapen salvation, when you cheapen conversion, when you cheapen God's grace and, and rebirth there, that opens up this whole idea of falling away. So, so again, if we work back to seeing how beautiful the gospel is and how big of a deal salvation is, it, this idea of eternal security and perseverance of the saints clicks a little bit better. Like mm-hmm. we can understand the warnings because we're really getting what it's a warning from and what it's a warning for. Yeah. So we need to take these warnings seriously. And there's going to be people, leaders on our staff team uh, and elder team that may fall in one of those two categories um, that we feel like if your final conclusion is you can't lose your salvation, then I think there's some latitude in how you take these passages. That is it just kind of a test of genuineness to a mixed audience? I think there's space for that. Or is it, no, he's specifically talking to Christians and it's a means to help the saints persevere. But at the end of the day, what we agree upon is you can't lose your salvation. Now, I don't want to open Pandora's box, but one of the uh, difficulties, like when you go to chapter 6, he says, For it is impossible in the case of those who have once been enlightened, who have tasted the heavenly gift, and have shared in the Holy Spirit, and have tasted the goodness of the Word of God and the powers of the age to come, and then have fallen away, to restore them again to repentance, since they w- are crucifying once again the Son of God to their own harm and holding them up for contempt. It seems to be like if you're going to say that salvation is something that can be lost, then once you lose it, you can't get it back again. It also seems to be saying that uh, if it's a mixed audience and you've kind of re- you've been around Christianity and you've hardened your heart so much rejecting. God, that you can harden your heart to a place where repentance is not possible. Like, you're not able to turn back. Um, The other, like, the stance that I would kind of, the conclusion I would come to is what he's saying is, it doesn't work that way. It's impossible. You, You can't crucify Christ again. He's already been crucified. If you think you can, you don't get the sufficiency of Christ's sacrifice the first time. Yeah, he's making a ridiculous example. Like, it's impossible for this to happen. Therefore, you got to understand that that's not how it works. Yeah, it doesn't work like that. But yeah, to your point, if you could if you could have salvation and lose it, it'd be impossible to get it again. Like, the logical conclusion of the position that you could lose your salvation is really bad news and really scary news. And it would make it would make the idea of having it and losing it and coming back to faith did not work out. Mm-hmm. So so if you would know anyone that would claim to be a Christian and then walk away from the faith, sorry, no hope, don't go share the gospel with them. Mm-hmm. Which we would never say. Like that's a ridiculous but you know, yeah. if someone if someone were to deny Jesus later, I would still come back and plead with them to accept Christ. 
because that's not what this passage is saying. Yeah, for sure. So looking at the warning passages in Hebrews, but understanding the beautiful work of our salvation, God knows how to save his people from beginning to end. What's the pastoral challenge or, or, or comfort you would give our people? I mean, the challenge is don't get comfy. Mm. Like, don't, don't just assume because you've been around a while and you can give the right answers that you got it going on. And th- that's not, yeah, that's not to give a, a false sense of, or not to, not to give insecurity when your security's in Jesus, but I think we can get really comfortable in ourselves because we, again, have the right answers, have had our disciplines for a while, we, we're going through the right motions. When we get complacent, when we get lazy in those things, Jordan preached a little while back against drifting away. When I get lazy is when I start to drift without realizing it. And when I start to drift without realizing it, I'm I'm on a course quickly away from from salvation, away from good news, away from all of these things as a proof that I was never I never really had it in the first place, mm-hmm. right? And again, that warning does the work in my heart of finding comfort, finding strength in God and clinging tighter to him. But I, I love, I think it was, uh, I think it was Simeon, an old English pastor who, who gave this um, picture of man, a mother holding a baby. It's not how tight the baby holds to the mother, it's how tight the mother holds to the baby. That doesn't mean the kid should go flailing and go, you know, whatever, like, like you cling to your mom, but, but it's the strength of the mom, not the strength of the baby. Mm-hmm. So in that sense, it's like, okay, we have a strong, good God that can protect us and defend us. That's comforting. If, if he's given us salvation, he's not taking it away. No one can snatch us out of his hand. There's no force on earth. There's no power, including you, that can rip yourself away from God. But, and don't get cozy. Don't get comfy in the fact as if you got it going on. Like, cling the tighter to him because of how good he is. Yeah, amen. Veritas, we want... We want you to take these warnings seriously, and the way that we do that that shows the genuineness of our faith is these warnings fight against our own spiritual complacency and make us run to Jesus and cling to Jesus all the more. That's that's the effectiveness of these warnings. Um, but we want you to not have misplaced confidence, as in, oh, I'm good because I did my Bible reading and I'm I showed up to church and you know I, I've gone a week without committing these sins. That's misplaced confidence. Our confidence is what Jesus has accomplished on the cross that saves us, and we cling to that, and that's where our confidence is at. So, Amen. All right. Hopefully that brings some, some more clarity. Uh, we encourage you to continue to dive in. If you got questions, reach out to a pastor here. We would love to sit down and have coffee with you and talk more about it. We love you guys. Jake, would you love to have coffee with people? I don't drink coffee. He'll have a he'll have a I'll, I'm gonna go kid on it and I'll have some hot cocoa. Or a golden milk. You're drinking golden I milk. I do like chai. I found out I like chai lattes, but there it doesn't have coffee in it. Have a chai latte with Jake and talk uh, about we this. will we can have uh, some caramels. We can drink coffee. <laughs> some caramels. <laughs> we'll uh we'll uh, we'll eat food and we'll we'll be happy to answer any of your questions. Uh, we love you guys. Uh, take care. <laughs>